This is the On The Line Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the On The Line Podcast. Here again with Noah. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Uh, enjoying Father's Day. Uh, hope everyone else had a good Father's Day as well. Hung out with the family. Uh, I'm ready to get going here with the show. Yeah, dude. I hope that... Hope that you and your family had a good Father's Day. I went golfing with mine, and he kicked my kicked my ass. But that's okay. I'm not very good at golf. But we got a jam packed show today. We're gonna start off with the Jamal Adams drama that's really been circulating the NFL news circuit for the whole past week. Then we're gonna go into it in the news segment. We're gonna talk about some MLB talk, uh, the Talladega NASCAR race, and some college football. Um, covid scares and then we're going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come back and we're going to do our outside linebacker and defensive end rankings we're going to do a segment on players that need to return to their form in 2020 so we're going to take players that didn't play very well in the past season or two and who really need to rebound in this coming season to really show what they're made of and then to end the show, we're going to do a best father-son moments in sports just to honor the Father's Day that we're broadcasting on. So, I mean, I can't wait. Let's get into it. So let's start off here. Jamal Adams. It's been in the news uh, a few weeks ago. You know, things were rumored that, you know, maybe the Jets might look to move Jamal Adams. Maybe they wouldn't. It was very loose. It was It was all just speculation and kind of conjecture coming out. It came out this week. Jamal Adams publicly went on social media and said, I want out of New York. I don't want to play for the Jets. I want you guys to trade me. A few shows ago, I was on the bandwagon where if the Jets got an offer, I said if the Jets got a first and a third round pick, trade him. I don't care who it is. You trade him. Um, I think that a great landing spot for him would be the Cowboys, and I still do. I still think that the Cowboys would be one of the best spots for Jamal Adams because that secondary could really use him and he wants to play in Dallas. And the other team I think that might be good for him is Baltimore. I think Baltimore is one of the most complete teams in the NFL. Their defense is amazing and they do have a favorable cap space to have Jamal Adams on the team. And it just so happens that one of the weakest spots on that defense is that strong safety, which is what Jamal plays. So I think that the Cowboys and the Ravens might be good spots for him. Um, but, you know, he put out a list with many teams that he might want to go to. But, you know, I like the Cowboys and the Ravens. Noah, what do you think? Yeah, I like those teams too. I mean, the rumor circulating with him for the past couple of weeks is if he wants to get out of there or not. Clearly he does now. He appreciates the fans. You know, he went out on Instagram. Uh, he made a post to the Jets' uh, official sort of Instagram bandwagon fan page saying it's all love. He's enjoyed his time in New York, but it's just time for him to go. Dallas is the clear front runner, and everyone's been saying that. And like you said, he's put out a list, or there seems to be a list of potential teams that he would go to. The Ravens are among one of them as well. The Kansas City Chiefs, the Houston Texans are uh, are my two picks. Uh playing alongside Tyron Matthew there in Kansas City. That'd be a great situation for him. They'd clearly be – they're clearly already a uh, Super Bowl contender, and they're looking to defend their title. And I think that it, he would help out their defense even more. And then with the Texans, he'd get to go there to play alongside Deshaun Watson. Uh, he would help them probably return to the playoffs there and 
compete in that AFC South division, which is uh, much improved. And if you go look at the other teams that he's uh, or rumored to go to, or like the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, possibly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I know you and I uh, believe that they're sort of a sleeper team, but the common theme with all of these guys is they're all potential playoff teams. And I don't think he wants to go to any other team that isn't a contender because when his contract's up, is he going to re-sign with a team that's a non-contender? No. That's why he wants to get out of New York because he knows the Jets aren't going to be contenders anytime soon. So he's looking to go to a good team. Um, the question is if the Jets want to let him go for that first and third that they called for. And uh, it's pretty impressive by you that you uh, called out that they'd be looking for a first and a third. So uh, props to you calling that out a couple of shows ago. But, uh, you know, do you think that the Jets are going to trade him to a contender so easily? Like, why would they give up possibly the best safety talent in the league to just perennial contenders? I don't think it would be a good move for the league. Right. And you know what? I appreciate you giving me the props on that. But, you know, here's the thing. So, from, a, from the Jets' standpoint, they look and they say, hey, we got a great player. We got the best safety in the league. He's the best at what he does. But I, I also mentioned this a few shows ago. Safety doesn't make or break a team. It really doesn't. The safety is not going to win you games, and it's not going to lose you games. But it'll help do both. But it's just not that important for the Jets right now. Especially, I mean, if you look at that defense, they have a solid linebacking court with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson. That's solid. Their secondary is not very good. Jamal is the only bright spot back there. They really don't have a good edge rusher either. They need some edge rushing talent. I mean, Quinn and Williams came in last season but was injured almost the entire season. So I think that, you know, the Jets have other areas that they could really address if they were able to get a first and a third round pick for Jamal Adams. And, you know, I got a question for you. So I know that Jamal wants to go to a contender team, but how much of a contender do you think the Texans are next season? Yeah, I've mentioned it before that Bill O'Brien might be on the hot seat here, and I don't know if they're they're clearly not the best team in the division, in my opinion, because you have the Tennessee Titans who made it to the AFC Championship game last year, and then we've been raving about the Colts all offseason. I think that they're going to be the front runner for the division, but they could sneak in as a wild card. Remind you that we expanded uh, the AFC and NFC uh, playoff teams by one so now we have seven in instead of six so they could squeak in there I mean it just depends on uh depends what Deshaun Watson can do and like we talked about even though DeAndre Hopkins left I mean they did bring in David Johnson to kind of uh revamp that offense and uh keep that strong surprisingly strong running game going there but uh maybe he's the help that the Houston Texans secondary could use I mean we know their defense has been a little spotty here and there, but I mean, they've been able, like, like you've talked about Bill O'Brien's been able to put together pretty solid seasons. I don't think he's finished below eight and eight since, uh, since early on when he had absolutely like no help at quarterback, pretty much he's had a good amount of success when Deshaun Watson's been there. So I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're going to be a top contender, but they could squeak in as a wild card team. And, you know, I think that Jamal, especially when looking at the Texans, like you look at the Chiefs, if the Chiefs have Jamal Adams and Tyron Matthews side by side, that's unbelievable. That's kind of the reasoning I've also put it on the Ravens. Like the Ravens, to me, the Ravens are a very complete team. 
And one of the only spots that they need is that strong safety. And if he comes in there, it's the missing piece. He That could eventually help them in the future. The thing with the Texans is that the Texans had Tyron Matthew, and he really wasn't the missing piece that they needed. That's the problem that I think Jamal might look at and say, hey, I mean, the Texans had an amazing safety already, and you know they weren't able to get anything really done. They weren't able to make a deep, deep drive into the playoffs. They didn't. You know, so that might be a little dissuading for him to go to the Texans. But, I mean, like you said, we both agreed that maybe the Bucks might be a good destination. Now, the Bucks, everyone knows they're revamped. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski's there. They obviously have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard. Still, the offense is loaded. The defense is what needs help, and that secondary needs help. So he could really be an impact player back there. I mean, they do have good pressure. They have good edge rushers and Shaq Barrett. They still have Levante David. I mean, they're pretty solid there, but, you know, their secondary needs help. And I think that Jamal would want to be there, not because it necessarily, you know, not because it completes the Bucks' defense because it's far from complete, even by adding a safety, but he definitely has a great chance on making a playoff run. But I, I also, you know, you have to include the Cowboys here. I mean, the Cowboys is the team he's wanted to go for, go to. And, I mean, their defense is totally revamped as well. I mean, they, they have Gerald, Gerald McCoy back there. They still have Leighton Vanderesh. They got Don Terry Poe, Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, they have some really, really good playmakers there. I'm, I mean, their safety position, they got Haha and Clinton Dix, but they could really use someone else to pair along with them. And that could, Jamal Adams could really be a good piece there. So, you know, I, I really, I still stand by the Cowboys, but I, I do like, you know, the thought of maybe the Bucks, maybe the Chiefs. The Texans kind of dissuades me a little bit just because I feel like, you know, he might see it and be like, hey, they already had a great safety and it really wasn't the missing piece. And there's nothing really special about that team anymore. I mean, they just lost DeAndre Hopkins. So he might say, Hey, you know, they might regress. They may fall out of playoff contention. I don't know. I don't know. That's just how I see it from his standpoint. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, it didn't necessarily work out with Tyron Matthew there in Houston. Not that he was a bad player for them. I mean, I think he put together pretty solid numbers in Houston. And like you said, he's just an expendable piece. The safety position just isn't as vital to a team's success as some of the other ones. But the reason why I do have Houston on there too, in addition to Deshaun Watson, Bill O'Brien, all that stuff is just the fact that he's from Texas. I mean, that's why I think the Cowboys have been the front runner and the obvious choice from him is because he's, He's from there, so Houston would be sort of a good second choice if somehow Houston were to offer a more attractive package to the Jets for Jamal than the Cowboys. So, but like you said, Cowboys probably the front runner. I think the Buccaneers is also an interesting pick, but we're just gonna we're just gonna have to wait to see. I mean, New York could hold them if they don't get what they want. They know what the talent they have in Jamal, so I don't know what the I don't know if they're going to get what they're asking for, and it might not be smart to let them go for for less than that, but who knows? Hey, man, you know what? All I'm saying is that Joe Douglas, if he gets a call from another team offering him a first-round pick and something else for Jamal Adams, you trade that man. Get him out of there. Get your picks. Rebuild your team. You're not a playoff contender this year rebuild your team and, you know, move on from Jamal. He clearly doesn't want to be there. And like we've seen in the past, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, you have these players that are like, you know what? Hey, I'm holding out for money. You know, I really don't want to be here. Like, like it it just shows that that doesn't really work. And what's going to happen with Jamal? He's going to sit out. He's going to sit out. He's not going to play for them, you know? And uh, trust me, I think that is just so much better if the Jets – 
got the call and just dealt Jamal. I think that that would be a great situation for them. But, you know, let's move on to our next segment in the news, where we talk about news stories that happened over the past week. So let's start off with this. The MLB, you know, all the other sports leagues, major sports leagues, the NHL, NBA, NFL, they all have plans for how to reopen and start playing games again, contingent upon COVID and and unforeseen things that are coming. But they all have plans. They all have outlines that they're implementing right now. The MLB, no one really knows what they're doing. They can't even reach an agreement with their players, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of of an unfortunate situation here because uh, I feel like if there's any sport that has the most amount of potential for social distancing – it would be the MLB. I mean, if you think about where the players stand on the field, I mean, in the outfield, you're clearly more than six feet apart rather than NBA and NHL where you're literally checking people or just going up against people in the post. I mean, they're literally hanging on top of each other when they're playing, yet it seems like every other league is farther along in terms of uh, being able to actually get out get out there after uh, this COVID stuff. But uh, yeah, like you said, MLB has no plans, can't negotiate with their players. Rob Manfred has been talking about uh, putting together somewhere in the number of 50 game season, possibly 60, and the MLB players don't want that. They want at least 70 games, they want their money, and they are asking for $275 million more than all the teams are offering, and this is according to USA Today. Look, the owners don't have the ticket sale revenues and the media right deals are going to be a little less for the season. So they're definitely going to be losing money or just taking in an extremely lower amount of profit. So that's why they don't want to give in to what the players' demands are is because they know that their pockets are burning here. I mean, it's a case of greedy owners and executives versus what the players actually want. I don't understand why the MLB just can't see this and suck it up for a year. I mean, like give the players what they want because if they don't have a season, then they're not going to have any revenue and all the fans are going to be pissed off too. So it's it's literally a battle between millionaires and billionaires. That's exactly what it is. And it's like, come on guys, the, the, the billionaires are at 60 games and the millionaires are at 70 games. Like, can you not just meet in the middle here? Like, come on, just get get it, get it back. I mean, your fans, your fans are going to spend the money to, you know, still watch the games you know everybody's gonna watch it it doesn't it doesn't even matter you know like if you bring baseball back you'll see the revenues come up i don't get it you're and like you said if baseball doesn't come back at all you're not gonna make anything so you know they should just bring it back agree 60 something games maybe you know players come down a little bit owners come up a little bit meet in the middle that's how it should be just so that they can get baseball back but the next news story that came up was Talladega was supposed to be today on Father's Day. It's one of the biggest NASCAR races of the whole year, but it got rescheduled to tomorrow, so that'll be really exciting. I think it's exciting to uh, – I'm a big I'm a big Barstool sports fan, so I know that they have their own car in the race, so I'm definitely going to be watching out for that. So that'll be really exciting for tomorrow. But back on a little bit of COVID talk, college football is having some outbreaks. They're having some real issues with COVID. Um, but you know, and, and it could really impact the football season and, you know, Noah, what do you think, um, you know, how do you think college football and colleges can really handle the situation that's happening right now? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a little bit of a trickier subject just because you're dealing with young adults and 
kids, you still have people on your uh, team in, in the teens, 18, 19 year old kids. I think parents would be extremely concerned uh, with their kids being exposed to the coronavirus over the sake of just playing college football. And it's really been coming up in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, Clemson has had over 20 cases. Same with LSU's. Many other schools are starting to have outbreaks and they're having to close down their facilities and quarantine their players. I mean, it's concerning. Like you're dealing with young kids here getting coronavirus. Uh, I think the schools do want to go back in the fall too. That's the problem is that there's pressure for colleges to reopen and get college football because it is a major driver of revenue for all these small towns. I mean, you think about places like Happy Valley for Penn State. I mean, football is what drives that town's revenue and all of their business for the entire year. And also college football's revenue pretty much provides all of the other money so other ba- or other uh, athletic programs can function, maybe besides basketball. I think they could hold their own in terms of the revenue they pull in. But college football pays for all the other sports. So it's a battle here. I mean, do you reopen and put your players at risk and just not care about exposing them to COVID? Or are they going to cancel the season or possibly postpone it? I don't know. It's a tricky subject. Like, I don't think the NCAA is going to be able to survive – or do nearly as well in the future without having college football play. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, college football is really like the mecca of college sports. It helps fund all the other sports, like you said. So I think that they are, you know, they got to have try and push to have college football no matter what, you know, it's all about everyone's worried about the money. Everybody's worried about the revenue streams. So, and you know, I love watching college football. I do. Player safety is obviously number one. You have to make sure that all the players are safe and that it can be done in a proper manner. But, you know, at the same time, after that, you have to worry about, you know, we got to be able to get the college football going, got to get the athletes in, training, get used to the system. You know, obviously training for a college football system, it takes a little bit less time than if you're going from college to the NFL. But it still is, you know, you still have to get in that football shape. Um, It might take the athletes – a uh, shorter amount of time because they're younger, but you know, it's, it'll be really, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see, but I hope that college football comes back. Um, I hope for the kids sake too, because a lot of the kids got to think about it. A lot of the kids that are, you know, going to be going into their senior year may not have had their best seasons yet and could have their best seasons coming up. You know, they got to have the chance to shine and prove it for the NFL because, you know, think about it. If there's no college football, then how do you do an NFL draft? Like that impacts everything in the future. So, I think that it'll be really important. I think they'll get something done. You know, they'll figure out a way to get college football back on the main stage. But Noah, just quick off the fly here, totally different, totally off topic. I saw this on NFL. They tweeted it out today. It was a who do you got for this 2020 season? It was between Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold. Noah, who you taking? Daniel Jones or Sam Darnold? Yeah, for me, I'm taking Daniel Jones. I mean, he had a pretty solid campaign last year. I believe 22 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, two to one. Uh two-to-one ratio there. Very solid. I feel like uh, they've improved their offensive line a little bit through the draft, and uh, that'll help Saquon keep healthy. I mean, lethal weapon back there for him. I feel like Saquon's at a better position in his career right now than Le'Veon Bell is uh, for Sam Darnold to work with. Uh, The receiving core in New York for for the Jets hasn't been as good. Uh, They also lost Robbie Anderson. He's went to the Panthers, so I don't think they're going to be as dynamic this year and they weren't even that dynamic last year so uh I'm just going to go with Daniel Jones I think he'll be more consistent 
even though we've seen less from him, I feel like the upside's there. I agree. I like Daniel Jones this season. Although I do like, see, here's the thing. I do like the Jets to at least get seven wins this season. I think they can get to seven. But, you know, I think that that's going to be a lot more, it's going to be a lot tougher for them. I think that the Giants, Daniel Jones might have a better season personally. He's got better weapons. He still has Saquon. I mean, the Jets, they got rid of their best weapon. Like you said, Robbie Anderson, he's gone. I mean, they really, their weapons are kind of slim pickings for him. At least the Giants, when Evan Ingram's healthy, he's a beast. Still got Golden Tate. Still got Sterling Shepard. You have Saquon. Like, their their offensive weapons are still better than the Jets, so I think I like that too, Daniel Jones. Better season than Sam Dardle next year. But you know what? We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back in about a minute. And we're back to the second half of the show. If anybody missed the first half, what we did is we talked about the Jamal Adams news and we talked about our favorable teams that we might think Jamal Adams could go to. And then we went to the in the news segment where we talked about the MLB. We talked about Talladega being rescheduled and then COVID and how that could work with college football. And now we're going to move on to our outside linebacker defensive end rankings. And we're, then we're going to do players who need to return to their form in 2020. And then we're going to finish the show with the best father-son moments in sports. So let's get right into this outside linebacker rankings right here. So my top five outside linebackers. Now, I know this might show some bias, but number one, I have TJ Watt. I think TJ Watt is one of the best defensive players in the league. He could have won defensive player of the year last year if Stefan Gilmore just didn't have an unbelievable season. But, I mean, TJ Watt was right up there. So I have TJ Watt, Khalil Mack, Shaquille Barrett, Chandler Jones from the Cardinals, Vaughn Miller from the Broncos, and then my honorable mention, Zadarius Smith from the Packers. I think he flies a little bit under the radar, but Zadarius Smith is definitely a game wrecker. Noah, who do you have for your linebacker rankings? Yeah, so pretty uh, pretty similar guys, at least for three of them. Uh, I do have Khalil Mack and TJ Watt in my top two, just different order. I have Khalil Mack at number one, TJ Watt number two. Number uh, number three, this might be a surprise, Jalen Smith. I feel like he's a stud player. Number four, Vaughn Miller. Five, Levante David. And then uh, Leighton Vander Esch is my uh, uh, honorable mention. So, okay, right off the bat, right off the bat, no Shaq Barrett. How do you leave Shaq Barrett off the list? He led the league last year in sacks. You know, uh, the consistency might be a little problem, but, I mean, uh, he put up unreal numbers last season. I think that he can only continue that this season, you know, with the Bucs. He's going to be fired up. They're a playoff contender. Yeah, like you said, it's the consistency. I mean, I mentioned it when I put Darius Slay as my honorable mention for the cornerback. I love having uh, multiple seasons of stats to work with. That's why Levante David made my uh, – number five here just because he's been pretty consistent in the league for so long so like you said he did have an unreal season last year there's no doubting that but i'd like to see more from him if he has a uh, another stud season obviously he would be a uh, a no doubt top five but i'd just like to see one more pretty solid year from him i you know i don't think anyone could disagree you could maybe you know khalil mack tj watt you know, maybe you want to throw somebody else in there, but I think that those are the, really the solid top two. You put it, put them in any order. It doesn't really matter. TJ Watt, you know, you can interchange them. Anybody would be lucky to have either one on their team here. You know, 
so you have two Cowboys on your list, Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. Now, would the, would you say that the Cowboys then have one of the best linebacking cores in the NFL? Yeah, in my mind, if not the best, I mean, Leighton Vander Esch, pro bowler in 2018, first season had 140 combined tackles, 102 solo. So he didn't have as good of a season last year because he only played in nine games, but he still uh, had a pretty solid uh pretty solid season for the games that he was in uh, if he can stay on the field like you said i mean i believe that they're going to be one of the best linebacking cores and that'll really help in the uh in the division that they're in going up against the eagles there too so i think those two teams are going to be the top contenders in that division so and i think that their uh their linebacking core is going to be one of the best in the nfl so you also didn't have Chandler Jones on your list. Why is that? Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, I just prefer Levante David over him. When you're looking at guys like veterans like that, I feel like Levante David's stats, if you go compare them, are a little better than a little better than Chandler Jones. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just preference there at that point. Why do you have him over a guy like Levante David, who's been doing it so well for so long? He has been doing very well, but. Um, Chandler Jones has not posted a sub 10 sack season since 2014. He's posted over 10 sacks every year. Last season, he had his best season in terms of sacks. I mean, he had 19 sacks last season. That was top five in the league. I think that he's coming off one of his best, best seasons ever. And I think that he might continue that next season. Granted, he is a little bit older. You know, he is 30 years old, but I mean, if he was able to, you know, at 29 years old, he was still able to put up those kind of numbers. I think that that's really unbelievable. And he's kind of like, you know, he kind of goes underneath the radar. I mean, he was on the Patriots and then he got traded to the Cardinals and nobody really covers the Cardinals because they haven't really been that relevant. I mean, besides when they had Carson Palmer and Kurt Warner, I mean, after that, it hasn't really been any relevance there. So I think that it's really hard to really appreciate what he, what, he's able to do and it you know it kind of goes back to like patrick peterson like patrick peterson is kind of like the guy in arizona who was like underappreciated i mean you could even look at like they honestly have three guys on that team patrick peterson uh, chandler jones and larry fitzgerald all those guys it's like they're they're so good at their positions they're top 10 at their positions and it's like you know pe- people don't really sing their praises because they're on the cardinals they're in a low a very smaller market that hasn't been very good for a long time and i think that that's why chandler jones kind of flies under the radar for some teams yeah i agree like you said he is coming off of probably one of the best seasons in his career so uh yeah and like you said too they haven't been relevant since sort of the uh the Carson Palmer Larry Fitzgerald prime days so very solid player easily could have put him in there but like I said it's just preference so you had Leighton Van Der Esch as your honorable mention I love that I think Leighton Van Der Esch is a great player I and like you said I think it's going to be one of the great linebacker tandems for next season my honorable mention was Zadarius Smith I think he needs a little bit of help in Green Bay, and I think that he kind of flies under the radar. I mean, it was his first season in Green Bay last year. He played four seasons in Baltimore, never had a 10-plus sack season. Last season came in at 13 and a half sacks. I mean, he was really good. He had 37 QB hits. He was he was a really good player, and I think that that potential in there, he's young, and I think that you know he kind of flies under the radar. Another Green Bay Packer that flies under the radar is like Blake Martinez. Like you mentioned it last week, 
when we were doing our middle linebacker rankings, Blake Martinez is one of the greatest linebackers in the game right now at middle linebacker. So I think that those Green Bay Packer defensive players, I think they, they don't get as much respect as they should. And I think that Zadarius Smith definitely should be, you know, in the conversation, especially for next season. I think that it'll be exciting to see what he'll do. Yeah, I do as well. Like you said, uh, he could use some help there, but definitely alongside uh, Blake Martinez could be one of the other uh, other top linebacking cores in the league, especially in a tough division that Green Bay's in with Chicago going up against another great defense. So he he's a player to watch out for in the next coming season, and I feel like he could really help their team explode. So totally agree with you there. Can't go wrong with that honorable mention pick. Let's move on to our defensive end rankings. So for defensive end, my top five is Cameron Jordan, Daniil Hunter from Minnesota, Joey Bosa from the Chargers, Miles Garrett, and Demarcus Lawrence, the tank from the Dallas Cowboys. You know, Demarcus Lawrence might be the one on there where it's like, hey, uh, you know, he didn't have a great season last season. He just got paid a whole lot of money and he didn't, they didn't really get their value for him. But I think that he could really have a rebound season coming this year. And then my honorable mention, which I doubt a lot of people even listening even know who he is, but Sam Hubbard from the Bengals, he led all defensive ends in tackles. He had eight and a half sacks in 15 games. I think that he could really be on the up and coming for defensive ends and a bright spot on that Cincinnati defense and that team as a whole. Noah, what were your top five defensive ends? Yeah, so for my top five defensive ends, I had Cam Jordan at one, Miles Garrett at two. Uh, surprise pick here, Akeem Hicks at three, Demarcus Lawrence four. Still have Calais Campbell in there, even though he's old, top five, Calais Campbell. And then Demarcus Lawrence, or not not Demarcus Lawrence, excuse me, uh, Nick Bosa is my honorable mention pick at number six. So what makes you put, you know, you didn't put Joey in there. You didn't put Joey in there. You put his younger brother, Nick. What made you put Nick over Joey? So this is the only time that I'm going to not preach for seniority here, but uh, he had an unreal rookie season coming off the edge there in San Francisco. I don't think anyone uh, expected him to be a pro bowler in his first season or at least do as well. I know people expected him to perform, but he performed uh, above expectations with nine sacks there, in my opinion. So that's why I'm giving him the nod over his older brother, uh, he may have a little bit more help there in San Francisco. Obviously, the uh, superior team there, uh, making it to making it to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Uh, the Chargers didn't necessarily have the best year, but uh, that's why I'm throwing him in there over his uh, older brother. You know what? I can't. You know, I'm gonna, I'm going to get a little upset now. I can't believe you're disrespecting Daniil Hunter like that. Don't even have him in your top five or your honorable mention. What's the deal with that? Well, you don't have uh, probably one of the best defensive end talents that we've seen in the last decade. You don't have Calais Campbell in there. So I could say the same thing for you. I mean, I know Daniil Hunter is a great player, but you are leaving out some guys too. Calais Campbell, and I will agree, Calais Campbell is a great player. He's a great playmaker. He was great in Arizona. He was great in Jacksonville. And now that he's on Baltimore, he could be even better, especially, you know, he's surrounded by so many other, so much other talent there that it could really help him and, and help his numbers next season. I think that he is a force to be reckoned with, but he doesn't crack my top five just because of his age. And that really just, it kind of dissuades me a little bit. He is a little bit of an older player. 
And, you know, with oh, with age, you know, he's slowing down a little bit. They have Matthew Jude on there in Baltimore, who's going to be getting a lot. You know, he's going to be getting a lot of attention. Well, you know, Matthew Jude might actually be getting, you know, a little bit more free space because the more attention I meant to say is going to be going to Calais Campbell. The guy's absolutely massive. He's You can't really move him. That's why I kind of left him off my list. He's, you know, he could be... He could he could have a good season. You know, he probably will put up some very good numbers like he does season after season, but I just think that his age, he might be slowing down a little bit. You know, Daniil Hunter, though, the reason why I had him is he had back-to-back 14-and-a-half sack seasons, you know? And before that, you know, four years ago, three out of the four seasons, he had over 10 sacks. Like, he's been a force to be reckoned with there in Minnesota. And I think that, he, you know, he kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Everson Griffin was there and, you know, they, they had Linville Joseph. He's gone now, but, you know, I think that, I think that Janiel Hunter definitely needs to get his due as a defensive end. Yeah. I mean, I hate to actually agree with you and change my opinion on some things, but looking at his stats, like you said, back to back 14 and a half, uh, 14 and a half sack seasons, he also had pretty consistent numbers in terms of combined tackles with 70. Uh, I don't know. I might have to might have to change it down the line. Can't do it on this show though. I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna change it up. Can't concede, but uh, he might be a little better than Nick Bosa at this point. And like you said, uh, you know, he there have been some bigger uh, bigger names there. Like you said, Everson Griffin. And even though it's not the same position, Harrison Smith, uh, he's in the secondary, but still big names on that defense allow him to fly under the radar, but he has made the Pro Bowl in the past two years. So uh, I might be wrong on that one. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I would like to point out to people that the one player that have actually, it's he's been on you know the, a topic on our show for a few weeks now, Jadevian Clowney didn't break either of these lists and he could kind of be listed as either one, but you know, he is a good playmaker. His consistency is not there. He's been injury prone. He doesn't really have a team right now. I mean, he's not on a team. So that kind of, I just don't, I don't know. I just find that Jadevian Clowney, the inconsistency and, you know, he's not going to get the high price that he wants, the high payday. But, you know, I don't, I just don't see him as being a top five defensive end or outside linebacker at either of those positions, whatever he's listed at. I just don't see him being top five next season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much uh, wrote off of his uh, first-round selection there in his career off of South Carolina. I mean, he's been a solid player in the league, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's put together very solid seasons for the Texans, and he had a decent year last year with the Seahawks. But if you look at his numbers, the one number you've been pointing to for uh, most of your defensive ends is the sacks. I mean, Jadevian Clowney does not get the amount of sacks that I would think considering uh what the price tag he's asking he only had three sacks last season and he had nine the year before and nine and a half in 2017 so nine and a half is the highest in his career and you're talking about uh you're talking about your boy over there in minnesota had back-to-back 14 and a half sack seasons i mean i think that's the reason why we have to leave him off the list even though he's probably a bigger name the numbers just aren't there to back up a top five uh top five performance they're they're not. I mean, if even if you look at like just look at Joey Bosa, he's played four seasons. In four seasons, I mean, he one of his seasons he only played seven games. So I don't know if I really you know he only played half the games really because he was injured. But you know, if you look at Bosa, three out of the four seasons he had plus ten sack seasons. Like that's way better than Jadevian Clowney, 
And, you know, I don't, Joey Bosa was not a number one overall pick. So I think that, you know, I think that it really could hurt um, Jademian Clowney's market value. And it has because a team hasn't signed him to a contract that he wants. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, that kind of, that's a great segue into our next topic right now that we're going to talk about players that need to rebound and return to their prior form in 2020. Jadevian is definitely one of them. He definitely needs to return to the form that he's had a few years ago and maybe be even better for a team, especially if they're going to pay that high price tag. But Noah and I put this list together of three offensive and three defensive players that we think could really need to return to their form. And I think the number one is probably the most glaring one on the entire list, Baker Mayfield. I mean, Baker Mayfield has been – he's been – on a team with so many weapons, best weapons in the league, and he still can't get it done. I mean, he all he does is he gets the ball. When he's in pressure, he rolls to the right. I mean, he really needs to return to the form that he had when he was on his rookie season. He had the chip on his shoulder. I hope that it's not that his ego got too big or that his style got too big, and I hope that he can return to that prior form that he had a few years ago. Yeah, and the interesting thing, too, is that he put together much better numbers in a shorter amount of time in his rookie year. I mean, he only started in 13 games, and he still led them to a 6-7 and seven record for the games that he played. And so pretty close. that's as close to 500 as you can get for playing an odd number of games. I mean, completed nearly 64% of his passes, and they didn't have nearly as powerful as an offense, at least on paper, that they did last year in 2019. So, look, we've said it before on previous shows. If the Browns don't succeed this year it might be time to move on from baker mayfield i mean it is set up for him to succeed no matter what if you look at the weapons around him on paper they're the best in the league in my opinion so he definitely needs to return to form he only completed 59 percent of his passes last year i mean there's no excuses for baker this year he has to he has to do something with that team i agree i think i think the same thing it's really you know this is the year he's got to prove it He's got to prove it, kind of like Mitch Trubisky. He's got to prove it. You know, Mitch Mitch has a definitely a shorter leash. Baker at least will have the whole season to prove it. Mitch may literally only have one or two games. Like, if the Bears, if Mitch is week one starting QB and the Bears start 0-2, they're going to put Foles in and Mitch is done. So, but the next player that we have on our list, Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, Juju had an amazing rookie season when he came into the league he had a great season. And you know what everybody was saying? He needed A.B. to be that distractor so he could have a 1,000-plus season. And it's kind of true. I mean, Juju hasn't returned to that form at all ever since A.B. left. And I think that it's really hurt his value and it's hurt his stock. So I think that Juju, you know, if he's able to prove himself, granted last year the QB situation in Pittsburgh was atrocious with Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Big Ben's coming back. And if there's no more excuses for Juju, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to be on point. He has other weapons around him with Deontay Johnson, James Washington. They just drafted Chase Claypool. So I think that it's really, you know, it's his time to shine. He's really got to step up and, and return to his prior form. And, you know, he's coming into a contract year, and I think it's really important for him. Yeah, don't forget about the Steelers adding Eric Ebron to to catch passes out of the tight end position. And like you said, with Deontay Johnson there and Chase Claypool coming in this year, I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be more targets that defenses have to pay more attention to. Uh, I do feel like that was something that hurt Juju as well. In addition to the fact that he did not have a starter caliber quarterback back there for him to actually 
get the ball from. Uh, even though Deontay Johnson is one of the more underrated wide receiver twos in the league, in my opinion, I don't think James Washington uh, was enough to draw defense's uh, attention there. I feel like Juju would. Uh, Juju had the majority of the attention from all of his corners, and that's why he wasn't going to be able to get any separation. And Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph just absolutely could not pass the ball down the field. So, uh, and you know, Ben loves to throw it down the field. That's where I feel like Juju was able to rack up 1,400 yards in 2018. But I mean, his stats absolutely just plummeted from 2018 to 2019. But uh, coming into 2020, he gets Ben back. Uh, and if a healthy James Conner stays back there too, I feel like the run game will take a little pressure off the pass game. So he's definitely primed to bounce back. Uh, and I hope he does it. I mean, like you said before on uh, previous shows, we're a little hometown biased here for our uh, for our favorite team. So we need Juju to bounce back for the success of the Steelers. I really hope he bounces back. But, you know, talking about running backs, James Conner, he too needs to bounce back. But that's not who we have on this list. We have Todd Gurley, Gurley's newest member of the Atlanta Falcons here. You know, if he has a bounce back season, if he can return to his 2017 Offensive Player of the Year form, then I think that, that, you know, they could be really, really special down there in Atlanta. Atlanta's kind of a sneaky team this year. I think that they could be sneaky good. Everybody's focusing on the Saints and the Bucks. No one's talking about Atlanta. And I think that Atlanta could really, you know, they could surprise some people, especially if Todd Gurley can return to that form. But he has really fallen off. I mean, he had some really great seasons. And then last season, he only had 800 rush yards. And people were pointing to maybe, all oh, his knee, you know, maybe he has arthritis, things like that. But, you know, he's really got to return to his form. He's still young. And I think that he still has stuff left in the tank. And he can really, really get going this season. Yeah, the one thing that did keep him afloat last year, though, and most people probably don't know this, is he still had 12 touchdowns last year, 12 rushing TDs. So, I mean, that's a pretty solid number, especially for a guy that we're considering to have a down year. Like you said, his rush yards dropped off, but really where it's dropped off for him is actually the pass-catching game. Uh, And his uh, offensive uh, player of the year in 2017, in that season, he had 64 receptions for nearly 800 yards and six touchdowns. And going to 2019 had half the receptions and for way less yards only 207 and he only had two touchdowns coming out of the backfield in terms of receptions so we know Atlanta loves to throw uh throw the ball to their running backs they've had guys like Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman there who have had success coming out of the backfield catching balls for Matt Ryan there's plenty of other mouths to feed and that offense with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley on the outside uh, they're going to take a lot of pressure. I mean, it's one of the more dynamic offenses in the league, too. I mean, you have Todd Gurley in the backfield and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley catching passes for you. I mean, like, I feel like he's primed for another bounce-back season as well. I mean, if he can stay healthy and if the health questions go away, I feel like Todd Gurley could have a top-five rushing season. I agree there. And you know what? Let's move on to the next person who's also on this list and also plays for the Atlanta Falcons, Keon O'Neal. I mean, he really needs to bounce back. The past two seasons, he's been injured. He has the injury bug. He can't stay away. But his first two seasons in the league, he had over 100 tackles each season. He had 116 tackles in 2017. Put that in perspective. The guy's a free safety. The league leader in tackles this year was like Bobby Wagner with like 150 tackles. This guy had 116 tackles. And he plays free safety. Like, I think that's unbelievable. He has a nose for the ball. He wants to really get in the action, but you know, he really needs to return back to that, that former glory. He has eight total sacks in 
his career, um, eight total, excuse me, eight total forced fumbles in his career. And those were just in the first two years because the last two years he's been injured. So I think Keanu Neal, he could really help that defense out a lot if he can return to his prior form. Yeah, and we've seen their secondary struggle last year. They had an abysmal start to the season, and they were able to turn it around sort of down the stretch. Probably one of the more surprising teams to finish with a nearly 500 record. But talking about him returning to his true form, like you said, those tackle numbers are are absolutely absurd from the safety position. I mean, he's putting up linebacker numbers in terms of that regard. But like, like you said, needs to return to form to help that defense out, especially now that Tom Brady... And the Tampa Bay pass attack is going to be very solid. Drew Brees and the Saints, I mean, we know what damage him and Michael Thomas and the rest of the guys there can do. Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, people are saying that he could shake things up there. We know Robbie Anderson uh, just went there, so they're going to be able to stretch the ball down the field. So the Falcons are in for a, for a world of hurt if their secondary uh, can't get Keanu Neal's uh, talent there to help them bounce back. Definitely. And they also lost Desmond Trufant. I mean, that loss is also big for them. So moving on to the next guy there. I mean, he is also a big playmaker that also had the injury bug. We're talking about Quan Alexander, linebacker who plays for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, he was a great linebacker when he played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, was an all-star. He played alongside so many great players. But now that he's on the 49ers, he really didn't do much last season. I mean, he only played eight games last season. He still had one interception, but he kind of caught that injury bug. For the past two seasons, he really hasn't been in the form. I mean, I mean, think about this. His tackle numbers, his highest number for tackles was 145 tackles, and that was in 2016. The next highest number for that was 97 in 2017. Like, the guy just has to get back to that form. He has to get back to playing at that high level. And the level that the 49ers really expect him to play at and what he played at when he was in Tampa, they're really looking for that guy that could really – like, it could really, really help that middle linebacker position for them, you know, especially since they have great edge rushers. They have a pretty good secondary. So, you know, if he can really come back, he could really help that defense. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree there. I mean, we've talked about – talked about Bosa there having a solid rookie year for them we know the other uh the other big name in that uh defense is Richard Sherman so I mean they're they have big name players there uh he's definitely set up for success and for bounce back and uh the other guy from the 49ers I know we can move on to the our next guy on this list uh but Solomon Thomas needs to return to the form of his at least what people expected him to be. So I think him and Quan Alexander both could have bounce back years. I feel like, uh, I feel like their defense is primed for success, but that's just a little mention to compliment Quan Alexander there. Solomon Thomas could also return to form. That is very true. Solomon Thomas could, I mean, there's so many guys that have just like, just, we couldn't put on this list, but they definitely could be on it. I mean, we're talking Jared Goff, Le'Veon Bell, Brandon Cooks, AJ Green. There are just so many guys that you could put on this list, and it's like, hey, we're all waiting. We're waiting for you guys to come back and show up and show us what you can really do again. So, you know, it'll be really exciting to wait and see. But the last guy that we have on here on defense plays for the Miami Dolphins, Xavier Howard. I mean, he is one of the bright spots on that defense, one of the only bright spots on that defense after Minka Fitzpatrick left. Back in 2018, the guy had seven picks, and the season before that, he had four picks. Last season, he had one. He only had played for five games. He had a really limited season last year. 
you know, he, he is a really great safety that just really needs to come back and really help that team. Excuse me. He's a great corner that really needs to help that team. So, you know, I think that if he can return to form that team with Brian Flores and how they're trying to develop, I think that he could be a real major key to their success in the coming years. DJ Cal and major key. Are you, uh, you making a little reference there to the major key? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nah, but, uh, nah, I totally agree. Uh, totally agree with Xavier Howard. You mentioned that uh, seven uh, seven interception number back in 2018. That led the league. Most people didn't know that. That he led the league along with Kyle Fuller with seven interceptions there. So, like you said, the departure of Mika Fitzpatrick definitely hurts their secondary. But uh, I feel like he'll return from injury. He'll be a cornerstone for that defense for years to come under Brian Flores. Uh, yeah, I mean, how could uh, how could he dip off so hard other than the fact for injury? I mean, I feel like as long as health concerns don't don't bug him this season, he'll return to form. Let's move on to our last and final segment. We're not going to do a gambling corner this week. Like we said in the show last week, we didn't do one either because there's just not anything that we really want to give you guys to gamble on. We want to be right. We want to get it right. So we don't want to give you guys bad takes. So we're going to end the show right now with the best father-son moments in sports, which is really heart-touching and heartwarming. So let's start off with the first one where Derek Redmond falls at the Olympics. Noah, take us away. Yeah, Derek Redmond, uh, 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. I mean, he was a great sprinter for the uh, U.S. Olympic team. He competed in the 4x400. Uh, During the race, though, he fell. He got injured. I mean, he couldn't. He couldn't compete no longer. I mean, it was just an unfortunate circumstance. He was one of the leaders in the race, and uh, his dad actually ran onto the track and didn't want him to go by the wayside in terms of his uh, his race not finishing. So he, his dad, and him hopping on one leg got to the finish line, even though he was disqualified from the race and listed it did not finish just because of his dad walking onto the track. The whole crowd was absolutely just roaring for him, even though he was able to finish despite of that injury. So that was a really good feel-good moment there. Definitely one of the best for uh, for dads in sports. That is a really nice moment. And, you know, the next one here, we're talking about the Harbaugh's in the Super Bowl when the 49ers played the Ravens and both, uh, both Harbaugh brothers were coaching against each other in the Super Bowl. I mean, that just has to be a great moment to be the dad of them. I mean, come on, both your sons are coaching NFL teams in the Super Bowl in the biggest game. I mean, that's just incredible. You have to feel so proud of yourself. I mean, that's just incredible. So, and the next one we have here is Tiger Woods winning his first Masters. Um, You know, he and his dad just shared a special moment. Yeah, uh, the 1997 Masters, it was Tiger's first major win. Uh, Everyone knows that his dad meant a lot to his golf career. I mean, he was the one who got him into the game, and he was the one coaching him up until uh, his unfortunate death. But, I mean, he was able to celebrate the win with Tiger in 1997, first major. that's when Tiger really started to come into his own. So the cameras were definitely on him when he won. They had a super great moment on camera, just talking it out, embracing each other after such an emotional win. So, I mean, everyone remembers Tiger and his dad's relationship. So it was definitely, uh, definitely a master's classic, and uh, it'll be remembered for all time. That's really special. And you know what? Another one kind of similar to the hardball thing, is you have to be proud if you're the Watt, the Watt family father. I mean, think about it. When you have JJ, TJ, 
Watt in the NFL and you have Derek Watt in the NFL. All three of your sons are in the NFL. Great careers, just fantastic athletes. I mean, you just have to be so proud of all of them. They're just great people. J.J. Watt, they're great people outside of football, and they're great athletes on the field. So that's just a great feeling right there. And, you know, speaking of great feelings and great athletes, the last one that we have here was actually included in the recent Last Dance documentary. Noah, take us through that. Yeah, so everyone knows the relationship that uh, Michael Jordan had with his father. He was very influential on his basketball career and just life in general. And then if you watch The Last Dance, you learned of the tragic death of his father. He was shot and killed. Uh, He was actually sleeping in his car while he was uh, sort of burglarized and murdered there. Uh, It affected Jordan tremendously, so much that he actually left basketball to go play baseball because that's what his dad had always wanted for him for him from his youth was that to be a baseball player he took a two-year hiatus went to go play for the chicago white Sox, and then came back and in his first season back uh led led the bulls to another nba championship and on father's day he beat the seattle supersonics in game six and jordan just broke down after that i mean like clinching the series on father's day a few in your first year back after leaving just because of your father's death i mean absolutely absurd jordan clearly felt that his father was with him that day just a great moment i mean jordan's the goat for that uh jordan's the goat for that moment in my opinion that's really nice really special but you know that just about does it for us here at the on the line podcast follow us on twitter at on the line pod with underscores in between every single word um, we really love to hear from you guys. Like last episode, we had Tom on the podcast. He was really interested. He loved the podcast. So, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys on what your opinions are and our takes and things like that. So, you know, interact with us. And, and you know, we thank you guys for listening and tuning in. No, it's been a great one. Absolutely, man. And uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Hope you spent some time with your dads today. Uh, really special and uh, good show this week, man. Talk to you soon.